Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Good morning. This is Tracy Murda on behalf of Richard Jacobs here at Future Tech Podcast. Today, I have an exciting guest. Paul Grassi is a Senior Standards and Technology Advisor at the National Institute of Standards and Technology, or NIST. Thank you so much for joining me today, Paul. I appreciate it. How are you doing today? Good morning. Thank you. I'm doing great. I appreciate you having me on. So, Paul, let's jump in and talk about what actually is NIST. Tell me a little bit about the background, history, and how you became involved. So NIST has been around for well over 100 years. I believe we were the National Bureau of Standards uh, back in the day to, you know, basically support standards and measurement science as a way to um, uh, support uh, and promote the economic security of, of the U.S. I think it was George Washington that was one of the first to say that, that without, without standards and without measurement, we really have no basis for a strong economy. So we, uh, we do a lot of, of standards development. Our main uh, role is in metrology, which is measurement science. So everything from, you know, what is a kilogram to what time is it according to the atomic clock to information technology, which is where I um, participate. All right. So what generally is or was the ultimate goal or the vision and mission of Fornet? Well, like I said, it's to we're, we're under Department of Commerce, so it is absolutely to promote economic security um, and promote commerce in, in the U.S. and, frankly, internationally. Um, you know, even though we in the U.S. are still in the uh, empirical measurement system, uh, NIST is uh, the actual um, agency that, that supports the metric system and, and does all sorts of, of um, measurements uh, and measurement science around um, all sorts of technologies. Again, we're in we're in nanotechnology, we're in um, fire prevention, material science, uh, computer science, data science, uh, nuclear. Um, and as a matter of fact, we're doing things like clean energy and, and zero impact um, houses. We're we're, just, we're all over the map in support of of uh, you know a strong, vibrant, uh, standards based economy. I mean, the the example um, one of the examples we all know. You know, if, uh, if we if we didn't have a common size for a card lug nut, we would really not have a very good competitive open market for, you know, cars and tires. So we're happy to, to be part of this standards-based community. And, and while we are focused on U.S. economy and U.S. vibrance, um, we're very much um, invested in international standards. 
so without getting too technical or, or too over my head, <laughs> uh, tell me a little bit about how NIST works to measure innovation. So I'm in the uh, Applied Cybersecurity Division, so I can talk about it from that perspective. Um, sure. Obviously, every, every lab and every division um, is a little bit different, though, with the same, obviously, mission and goals um, therein. Uh, I would I would argue that you you can't and shouldn't measure innovation. Um, that should be something that's created in the market. Uh, what we should be doing is creating standards that don't prevent it, that don't keep innovation from occurring. Um, so the way I, I measure if we're successful is if the the market can thrive around our standards rather than uh, be hindered because of something we've done in a standard. What about some of the the UK use cases you kind of mentioned? You know some of the different areas that you're working in. Can you give me some examples of what it is you're doing in those spaces? Sure. Uh, so purely cybersecurity with a, a focus on identity and access management, uh, digital identity primarily. Uh, not yet looking at uh, completely looking at things like sovereign identity um, or refugee-based identity, but dabbling in that space or at least providing. Uh, the standards and and um, uh, guidance that could uh, support that type of use case, but um, uh, we are focused. I'm focused primarily on identity. So, what are the what are the good guidelines we have to do and provide um, our stakeholders? And, and in the context of this this call, what NIST does, our, our only real stakeholder, or actually, I'd say the only entity that are subject to our guidance is is the federal government, is the civilian agency. Uh, that said, from a stakeholder perspective, we've got public sector, private sector, and international because, again, we want to make sure that we aren't doing things that are special to the U.S. We want to make sure we're getting our solutions from the private sector, and we want to make sure that we can interoperate internationally. So um, our stakeholders are vast, but um, those that are subject to our requirements are only the federal government. We are a non-regulatory um, entity um, from that perspective. Um, so we uh, are focusing on strong identity proofing, which is a huge challenge uh, in today's digital age. How do I prove that I am who I am uh, online in order to achieve a, a benefit or service? That benefit could be anything from a, a financial benefit, maybe from social security to health benefits of a veteran uh, or student aid if I'm 18. And, and there's a real challenge there if you look at uh, recent breaches that have occurred um, over the past couple of years, and I'm not just talking about the one that occurred uh, a couple months ago. Our, our data is out there. It's in the hands of um, those that uh, wish us harm, and we've got to create guidelines that uh, prevent that from occurring and allow, yet allowing the person that is the rightful owner of that information to be able to use it. Uh, we're also looking at, you know, authentication standards. We're looking at privacy standards. Uh, we're looking at um, how we can build these standards and and uh, have private public partnerships so that the private sector will voluntarily adopt them and help build a vibrant ecosystem that supports this. Um, so a lot of lot of work to be done here in the in the world of identity and cybersecurity. So in the course of your career, what have you seen as the biggest challenges to improving cybersecurity? Well, this is. Uh, you know, herein lies the, the fun that we have as an organization that is charged with measurement science. Uh, measuring cybersecurity is extremely hard, and we haven't completely uh, cracked the code on that one. And, and in the identity world, we haven't either. Um, you know, the example I use sometimes is, you know, in, in biometrics, 
it's um, you know fairly well known how to calculate a false false match or a false non-match. You you run you know a thousand people through a uh, uh, a system, you test to see what happens with when their biometric is read and matched, and you can cal calculate those metrics. So that's a good example of where uh, metrology is is working well. Um, in, in use cases like cybersecurity or, or law enforcement and border protection. Uh, it's really hard to know how secure a computer system is at any given state under any given context. Um, you, you, don't know, um, you don't know what the criminals or the hackers know and have and how they're going to use it and how, are they, how they're going to exploit it. Um, in the identity proofing use case that I, I gave you earlier, you don't know what somebody can guess about you. You don't know what they have about you. So it's really hard to run um, tests to determine how strong a system is at preventing fraud. Um, so, you know, that's something we are actively working on um, and, and we are far from um, done with that, far from solving it. What would you say or what would you suggest are some ways that people can go about protecting their online identity? I mean, there's obviously there's so many breaches as we've talked about, um, but what are some ways that I guess are suggested or, or recommended? It depends. I mean, it's in some respect, uh, I think it's, it's the job of, of the private sector and, and to the extent that the government can convene and, and encourage the private sector from, uh, you know, doing, following these practices. That could be one way. I know in the government, especially with what's occurred over the past couple of months, we're looking at ways um, to adopt better strategies to, um, you know, identify uh, individuals that need to have access to something. And I'm not talking about something scary like a national ID or some sort of tracking system. It's um, adopting processes and policies and technologies so that when, you know, that veteran shows up online to get access to something, we, we have a good way of proving that that veteran is who they say they are, um, rather than a bad way so that somebody can fraudulently act on their behalf. So we we certainly have a have a role um, as a government to help protect online identity and help protect personal data. Um, certainly, um, the end user has has a role as well. Uh, but I, I would I would argue right now with with the amount of data that's been breached and the amount of information that's that's just out there, it's um, uh, it, it's it's not an easy problem for just a user to do with things like cyber hygiene or you know changing your passwords all the time or making sure you have antivirus. I think this is going to be a coordinated effort. You know, that said, I would, um, you know, I would argue that, especially being as part of the, part of the Department of Commerce, we, we want this to be market-driven. So there are, you know, users that, if, that should demand certain um, uh, things, for the lack of a better word, from the people, the providers that they use online. Um, as, as a citizen myself and as a consumer, if my doctor offers me online access to my health file and it's only protected with a password, I tell them no. Um, that is not sufficient to me to protect uh, that type of information. I want them to have multi-factor authentication there. We, we need a lot more of me to be able to do that. Um, another side of the house is, is um, starting to uh, uh, be a little bit more vigilant, if that's the right word, on what data we want to release and what data we should be releasing. We tend to over-release information in order to get access to a service uh, as quickly as possible. We want, 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 and we end up giving up way more than we need, and we have no idea what's going to happen with that data. Um, so an example 
uh, again, of vigilance that happened to me. I happened to be coming out of the uh, airport parking lot the other day. The machine ate my ticket. Uh, I went to the to the booth. The guy took down my driver's license and said, okay, I can see that you entered, I don't know, two days ago and you're leaving now. That's going to be $20. Can I get your driver's license? Um, why do you need my driver's license? It's policy. No, you're not getting my driver's license. You didn't need it if I had my ticket. Why do you need it now? Um, and it turns out he didn't. <laughs> I paid and I left. Um, it sounds a little annoying. It sounds a little bit pushy, but um, you know, if we can start uh, motivating um, and building momentum on that side uh, and put less of our data out there because services don't require it, I think we'll be in a better place. So tell me, Paul, are there new developments and projects that you are all working on at NIST that we should know about or that you can talk about at this stage? A- absolutely. Um, we, we just released um, a new set of guidelines on, on digital identity. Um, I think one of the exciting parts of that uh, update, even though, again, it's not, it's not something I would expect a citizen to read. It's targeted at federal agencies delivering citizen services. But um, one of the elements in there is that, uh, hey, users, citizens, beneficiaries, because um, we do have non-citizens getting access to government benefits that, that need to and should, um, uh, there's a lot of innovation on your mobile phone, for example, that can be used for things like uh, strong authentication. Um, maybe agencies should be leveraging that rather than thinking they should be giving you something or issuing some issuing something to you, even if it's password. Um, we now have biometrics on the phone, have secure storage on the phone. Uh, there's a lot of innovation that has occurred in the mobile market and in the authentication market writ large. Um, Fido Alliance, the Test Identity Online Alliance, um, where you know we are basically walking around with some of the strongest authentication technology um, in the market, and agencies should be leveraging that. Um, I've I've said often uh, we need to be in the business of acceptance, not the business of issuance. Um, agencies shouldn't think just because it's their system that they have to give the user something. Uh, the user already has something that's probably stronger than you would give them, so accept it. Oh, yeah. So what are you doing, if anything, within the blockchain uh, the blockchain sphere, if you will? <laughs> sure, sure. Um, a few things. So um, the, the NIST cybersecurity program um, is certainly looking at it from a uh, cryptographic perspective and, um, you know, analyzing uh, how it's uh, – how it functions in a secure fashion. And, and certainly we're looking at its uh, applicability um, or, or what are just the basic things you need to do to make sure that the blockchain is secure. Um, that, you know, we do that when any new innovation comes around. When it was big data, it was all about how do you, you know, how can you secure these, you know, unstructured databases like Hadoop. Same type of work um, on blockchain, plus looking at the underlying crypto. Uh, Myself, we are actually running a project at our National Cybersecurity Center of Excellence, which uh, is essentially a, a model for strong public-private partnerships, where we have a privacy-enhancing um, identity solution, uh, which is basically meant to uh, blind providers from each other and protect user information and put user data into the con- in control of the user, not in control of the organizations that will use it. And that's leveraging um, 
blockchain technology um, to enable that. Um, you know, the, the, uh, the good thing about the blockchain in this use case is it does afford us the ability to do things like triple blinding, um, which we had difficulty doing prior to blockchain. Um, but from an overall identity perspective, some of the great things about blockchain are some of its scariest when it comes to identity. You know, immutable, out there forever um, are two things that um, give me pause when I think about identity um, on, on a blockchain. And then, um, you know, sometimes there's, you get eye rolls when you say this, but in a post-quantum computing world, um, the crypto that underlies uh, blockchain will be broken. So now I circle back to immutable and, and out there forever. If I put my personal information um, anywhere near a blockchain database, uh, it'll be exposed in the, new, in the future. Okay. So where do you just, in, in what you know and what you've experienced, what do you think the future of that is? Uh, I think it's still unknown. Um, I mean, certainly there are very valid use cases for, for blockchain that I um, you know, wouldn't feel comfortable commenting on because it's outside mm-hmm. of, of my domain. Um, and, and I remain an, an optimist, even uh, as some of my peers remain pessimistic. I'm, I'm widely optimistic. Uh, about our our projects at the NCCOE, um, I think you know what what's at the crux of this thing. If you if you pull back all of the buzzwords you know that I used earlier, like triple blind, um, the crux of this is giving users control of their data on their mobile devising device and only releasing it when they need to and want to um, to the providers that they want to do business with while at the same time not letting that user augment the underlying data uh, because it may be that that data is derogatory. It may prevent them from opening a bank account. So we we have to protect the integrity of that data as well. And I think that's a huge uh, change in the market uh, where, you know, user's data uh, doesn't live in the cloud, doesn't live centrally at somebody's uh, data center. It lives on their phone um, to be released whenever they want. And, and, and I and I hope and I I, know, I believe, given some of the other things we're seeing in the market, that this is uh, is going to be around um, for a long time, and, and, and hopefully it will be um, part of our everyday lives here very shortly. Oh, I agree, absolutely. Is there anything else in the space, either with blockchain or some of the other things that we talked on or projects that you want to mention for our listeners, um, just to sort of you know highlight what it is that you do or are doing? We are. Um, Constantly trying to evolve our uh, our guidelines or our, our the material that we produce for our government stakeholders and, and again the, the broader stakeholder community that I mentioned um, and we want to be responsive as, as possible to um, anyone in the market which could include end users so uh, to some extent uh, I want our pipeline of work to be built uh, by the stakeholder community rather than by me. I can't claim to know every um, interesting problem that needs solved, needs to be solved, which is why uh, we've got the NCCOE, which is why we've, you know, stood up GitHub pages and have a, a active social media presence uh, so that we can actually have a way to communicate in both directions with, with folks out there that care about cybersecurity, care about identity, care about, you know, whatever the underlying technology is. If it's not mine, I know where to forward it within this. So, um, that's really what's important to me is maintaining that active dialogue so that we're building uh, uh, 
material that, that matters most. Absolutely. Well, Paul, I really appreciate you taking the time to share the information on NIST and what you're working on and in some of your input just into, you know, especially the blockchain things of things. Um, if there is anyone who wants to know more information about NIST or reach out, what is the, the best way to reach you folks? So you can always reach me directly. Uh, again, I'm a civil servant and, and my email should be known and leveraged. So that's mm-hmm. PAG, Paul Andrew Grassi three, the, the number three at NIST.gov. Um, we have a website, uh, NIST.gov forward slash ITL, it's Information Technology Laboratory, forward slash TIG, Trusted Identity Group. Um, and we also have a, a Twitter handle. It's uh, Trusted, let me see here. Yes, Trusted IDs, IDS, NIST, which is a, a good place to follow us. We're constantly posting there. Excellent, Paul. Thank you so much for your time today. Again, for our listeners, this was Paul Grassi, the Senior Standards and Technology Advisor at the National Institute of Standards and Technology. Paul, thank you again, and we look forward to seeing, uh, following what you all do. Great. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful weekend, Paul. You too. Bye-bye. The Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. You've been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. 